This episode is brought to you by Borderless. Paying and managing remote workers can be a difficult task for companies. With the shift to remote work, companies are hiring talent from all over the world. But once they bring on that engineer from Turkey or Mexico, they quickly realize the challenges of paying them on on an ongoing basis and managing them effectively. There are various issues that companies have to tackle, such as foreign exchange fees, delays in cross-border payments, managing invoices, and trying to stay compliant with local laws. These complications can cause headaches and wasted time for companies as they have to navigate a complex and ever-changing landscape of regulations and compliance. The process of paying and managing remote workers can be time-consuming, costly, and difficult to keep up with. It can also be a major distraction from the company's core business operations. That's where Borderless comes in. Their extensive experience in worker payments and contractor management has simplified this process for companies. They take away all the complexity of managing international contractors, allowing companies to put their contractor or employee on their platform and handle everything else. They take care of paying global workers and drafting local compliant contracts so companies can focus on what they do best. They also include the communication, task management, and compliance. And the best part? Borderless offers real-time payment to contractors in over 150 countries across the world, allowing contractors to access their funds quickly and easily. Their SaaS business model offers competitive pricing with a monthly fee of $39 per contractor or $399 per employee. Don't let managing remote workers hold you back any longer. Let Look Borderless be your global workforce management solution at HireBorderless.com. That's HireBorderless.com. Faskin's emerging tech and venture capital practice is comprised of 80-plus dedicated legal professionals across the Canadian market. We're deeply involved in the startup ecosystem and have worked closely with founders from startup to scale to exit. Our team is a leading Canadian law firm for VC financings and tech M&A and act for many of the best-in-class startup and scale-up innovation-based companies and entrepreneurs in Canada. Given this experience, we understand market trends and can assist in guiding your company forward as you scale. We take a holistic and strategic approach to helping our clients achieve their goals and provide the full suite of services including corporate, corporate finance, M&A, commercial, IP, data and compliance, employment, tax and beyond. We are excited to help the next generation of unicorns. Hello and welcome everyone. I am Evan McCann and this is The Hard Part. This show is a deep dive into the strategies, founding stories, and behind the scenes insights from Canada's top founders, investors, and leaders. My guest today is Hamza Alamtab. Hamza is the co-founder of Tamba. Tamba is a product and digital solutions studio specializing in outstanding user interface and user experience. In this episode, we discuss Hamza's business, which was acquired by Tiny, companies that are AI-proof, 
What makes Victoria's tech community so great? Meeting Andrew Huberman, which led to the start of his new business, Routines, and the best advice Hamza got from Andrew Wilkinson. Please enjoy my conversation with Hamza Alamtab. Hamza, I'd like to start with your time. So you made a move from Pakistan to Toronto. What age were you and what was that experience like? Was that a bit of a culture shock? Had you been to Toronto before? Uh, you know, I, I think that's a big move. I'd love to get your take on it. I think I was 23 or 24. Yeah, I was 24. It was a pretty big move. I'd actually never left Pakistan up until that point. I did, I'd done one trip just like to Dubai, but that was that was uh, a long time ago. But really, that was the first time I actually left Pakistan. And uh, the way it came about was was pretty interesting. So when I was my undergrad, I started my first business. I was just a sophomore. Like I, I needed a way to pay for university, didn't have a lot of money growing up. And so I started freelancing online and Upwork, which was Odesk back then. Uh, I started using that. I started freelancing as a designer and a web developer. Uh, and pretty soon I realized like I was making, I was making $20 an hour, which as an 18 year old in Pakistan is like a million dollars. And so I was making a ton of money. And then at one point I was like, okay, well, how do I scale this? I only have so many hours in, in a day. So I ended up hiring pretty much every, everyone who lived on my floor. I lived in res. I basically paid them $3 an hour and make like a $16, $17 riff on that. They were happy with three because again, they were university students with, in Pakistan. So that was a lot of money for them back then. So by the time I graduated, I had like six people working for me, a bunch of clients, and I was actually making pretty solid money. And the problem was I'd seen the social network, which had just come out this story of Facebook. And I was like, yeah, I need to do something like that. Like I want to be an entrepreneur, but I need to be where the action is because all the work I was doing back then was working for North American clients. And so I found that the easiest way for me to do that would be to move to North America. I had a bunch of family in Canada, so I thought Toronto would be the place to do it and apply to UFD in their applied computing program, got in and moving here. So that was, that was the move. Culture shock? Um, not really. I mean, it's very different. I think I'm pretty adaptable and it was, it wasn't hard for me to quickly make friends and build a social, social network. I mean, I started my first startup pretty much three months after being in, in Canada. So it, it all came together really quickly and cohesively. Hey, can we chat about that, that startup a bit? So you have this amazing experience in Pakistan and university and you're coming to Toronto and, you know, three months in, you, you, you got that itch again to start something. And what was that? So when I moved here, I kept my Pakistan business alive, which meant I just couldn't sleep. My team was in Pakistan, my clients were here, and the time zones just didn't match. And so I was either working with them at night or staying out. So it was starting to become really hard for me to manage. And I was also in school. And the whole reason I moved here was that because I wanted to do, build a product, build, build something that, that was mine. And uh, I made it pretty, I was pretty vocal about it. People knew what my skill set was and I was driven in that sense. And my roommate had friends, they reached out, they were starting a company called Orchard, which made it really easy to buy and sell iPhones. Uh, at the time, that's where the name Orchard comes from because they're Apple products. Um, and, and yeah, we, we launched Orchard. I ended up killing my, my other business 
which is interesting because I went from making a ton of money to making no money because we were basically a startup. And I think I paid, we paid ourselves like 25 grand each for the first two or three years, which is not a lot of money. Um, but, but it was a really good experience. I mean, becoming like going through the fundraising processes, hiring people locally, building a product. Eventually we got into 500 startups, got to learn a lot of people. I think I was a very different person back then, right? I came on as the CTO and then are the CEO and the CFO. They were, they were really kind of running the show in that startup a bit in terms of like the fundraising and stuff. And I always wanted that. I don't think I had the, I don't want to say I didn't have the confidence. I just feel like I, I was happy. I wasn't happy. I was, how do I put this? Maybe the right word is not having enough confidence to either ask for it or step up and be like, hey, no, I want to be like, I, because I definitely thought I could be a CEO. And eventually I just got to a point where I was like, okay, I've put in like four, four years in here. I've learned everything. I know how to iterate. I know how to build a product. I know how a startup works. I think I'm ready to like build my own company where I am in charge. And I was also tired of just selling phones. I knew there was a lot more out there. And so I'd spun up a company with my roommate at the time where we could just build cool stuff together. Um, and then uh, we ended up just going full time with that. And there's a crazy story there too, which we can get into. But if you want to stick with Orchard and ask me questions about that, let's do that first. I think that my only question on Orchard would be like, what are some nuances that people don't know about like selling phones? Like I didn't even know like that was really like a space that you could make a business in. But is there is there something that maybe like the average consumer doesn't really know about? I'm going to answer that question a bit differently. Um, because I think we we imagined there'd be a lot of those nuances. And we we always thought of ourselves as a tech company. And we we hired as such. We were hiring a bunch of people in, in tech like and software developers. Essentially, I think it was more of like a like an e-commerce business than a tech business. And we should have prioritized that. So there was a lot of learning in those early days. And we all had this itch to make a tech business. So we ended up pivoting a couple of times. Like after we went to 500 startups, we got a lot of feedback in terms of like, hey, this isn't a billion dollar idea. How can you turn this into a billion dollar idea? We ended up pivoting to a completely unrelated business called uh, Airlock, which was just a privacy business, like an app that tells you how how secure you are against all the all the things out there. Like, are you using a VPN? How strong is your password? Stuff like that. So it was like tidbits of information. And then we would give you a privacy score and stuff. And yeah, that was, that was a huge waste of time uh, because we ended up pivoting back to the original business. And then I left and then there was like a whole ship in the company and the stuff like that. So um, I, don't, I don't have a good answer to what is the nuance in selling phones. I think what we really ended up being the winning thing for us was just a lot of trust. Um, people came to trust the Orchard brand and we really just wanted to provide an Apple-like experience, but for used smartphones. And I think that really translated. And I remember like when we were, especially like when we were in our like, peak phase, obviously the brand's grown since then, but I remember like I'd been in Uber and I just asked people, remember you could share rides in Uber? I think, I don't know if you can still do that. I just ran to ask random strangers, like, hey, have you heard of Orchard? And they'd be like, yeah, we have. I'm like, yeah, that's my company. So that was, that was pretty exciting. And yeah, I would love to circle back to what you mentioned there with the, the interesting story. Is that Button? Is what, what company was that? We'd love to learn more there. So after a few years at Orchard, I was like, okay, well, 
this company doesn't really need a CTO anymore. Again, I see myself as more than what I'm doing. I want to be out there doing the action, like really doing it my way. And also, again, didn't want to be selling phones anymore. Uh, my roommate at the time and I we were both like into tech, into building stuff. So we just started a company on the side where we could build cool stuff. That actually happened because we took part in a hackathon together called Dementia Hack, sponsored by Facebook. And we were supposed to build tools to help people with dementia care providers. And in two days, we ended up building these socks that could basically detect your emotional state. So it could tell if you're happy or you're sad. And the idea was if someone with dementia is wearing them, as opposed to, say, a ring or a watch, we could remove it, forget about uh, this could be this uh, a tool for intervention. So if they're having an episode of forgetfulness, they're feeling anxiety, they're feeling lost, we could remotely alert caretaker, maybe turn on calming music, turn down the lights, stuff like that. So after doing that in two days, we're like, hey, we're really good at building stuff. We should just build a company. So that's how Button started. Uh, even the name we came up with was, was interesting where uh, we really like the .is, .is uh, domain. And my co-founder wrote a script to see what are the names, what are the words available on the .is domain. And then we sorted by like words that are um, commonly used. And then button was available and just made so much sense for a tech company. Ended up starting button. Very shortly after starting that company, we ended up winning a contract with the BC government for building their climate tech solution. It was a really big contract. And I was still at Orchard. And we came here in February of 2019 during a crazy snowstorm. Uh, we didn't think we'd win. I ended up winning. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go back, tell Orchard that I'm leaving, and ended up moving to Victoria two weeks later. It, was, it all happened really fast. And uh, yeah, Button, we built Button Ground Up in Victoria. Button's a company that builds software for government. So went from a company, it originally started as a company where we wanted to build cool stuff and kind of like build our own products as well. Um, ended up just specializing in building government projects because it's a, it's a lucrative field. We'd already done it a couple of times. Um, and yeah, and then we actually ended up selling a majority of Button to Tiny about a year later. And with that sale to Tiny, like, did that change things? Was there like a shift? Like, did you meet Andrew Wilkinson and your kind of eyes were open to like this new space? I guess I'm just very interested in like, that's a really interesting journey. And you have like this, you know, this sale. What happens after that? Are you just, is the world wide open after that? It was a very interesting time. It was, so this was 2020, early 2020. I'd been in Victoria for a year. I was back in Toronto having lunch with a friend. I hadn't met, met Andrea. I went to the friend and I'm like, yeah, Victoria is a cool city. Like I hear there's a lot of cool tech people. I haven't really gone out and explored. I've been busy with, with work uh, and I went back and forth between Toronto. I don't know like if there are that many like cool tech people here. And I was very wrong. Victoria is dense with cool tech people. And so my friend's like, oh, like, yeah, like uh, there's, there's Andrew Wilkinson's down there. I, I, I hear he's super cool. I was like, yeah, he's like, he's up there. I haven't really met him yet. I, I, I hope to meet him one day. And as I said that, like my Apple watch just goes and I look at it and there's an email from Andrew who I've never met before 
and there's like an there's a there's the subject title says selling button question mark and i was like what i told my friend i was like i think i think i need to go home right now i think i need to go talk to my co-founder something's happening go home talk to my co-founder well like, yeah i mean for a company that's a year old sure why not let's let's go through with it um so this was i think feb 2020 as we all know that was end of feb is when COVID happened um so that was a very interesting time because as COVID started ramping up we were like well obviously companies are going to become very cash conservative so times pull out i don't know what's going to happen they didn't pull out and i remember sitting in my office in victoria like it's the the second week of COVID or third week streets are empty i'm like in an empty building by myself and money hits the bank and i look at it and it's obviously the most money i've ever had and it just it was such a weird feeling of like wow this is great but also like the world's going to shit and like i i didn't know if i was supposed to feel good or guilty in that moment and the walk home was just weird because it was like from a western like it's 1960s western film like there's like plastic bags just blowing on the wind no cars no people no animals that was like yeah well I have, I have money now so it was it was an odd it was an odd couple of days until well actually a couple of weeks to after an acquisition you kind of go through this period of like well as a, as a founder you always a lot of the, us want that chip on our shoulder and when you have that you're like okay well i accomplished it sure it wasn't like anything crazy but it was still it was still something so yeah so that was an interesting time in my life say so this exit you know like this kind of the, the low of COVID or peak COVID, whatever you want to call it. And you know that you're really good at building products. You've had like the successful exit. What do you do next? Is it, you know, does, are you like, Hey, I, I'm just good at this. I'm going to do this again, maybe in a different space. And like Tambug is born. Like what, what was your thought process there? The good thing about tiny is they like, they don't, if, if you don't want to stay, you can leave all very easy They keep it simple. That's why I loved the sale with them and Andrew and I ended up becoming really close friends after that. Um, so I stayed with or uh, with button for another, I think six months, but I knew that I I need to leave like building for government just wasn't my cup of tea. I, I like to move fast and break shit, right? Like I, I want to push buggy code to production to see what happens. I don't really mistake, but it's, Government isn't that like there's layers of checks and this and that. And like, you can't test new things without like getting 37 different approvals. And it wasn't for me and I knew it. I wanted to go back to like building cool stuff. So after I left, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. The one thing I knew for certain was I didn't want to do a services business again. I wanted to build a product. That's what I'm good at. Uh, So I decided that I'm going to take some time off, like maybe a few months off and figure out what I want to do. I ended up going. I decided to go back to Pakistan to just hang out with my parents and my, my siblings. Like everything was locked out here. I just wanted to be with them uh, and have that sense of community again. So I ended up back in Pakistan and it's, I've been there for two weeks. I just left Orchard, uh, playing Orchard, I just left uh, Button. And it's, I think it was on Christmas Day. Um, I get a message from a client from back in my university days 
So I'd worked with this guy when I was 18. You know, like one of the first people who hired me on Odesk. And he's like, hey, long time. Happy, uh, Merry Christmas. How are you doing? What's up? And I was like, oh, yeah, I just filled him up. I gave him an update on my life. He's like, oh, very impressive. Very cool. And he's like, yeah, well, remember what we were working on back then, like 12 years ago? Well, still working on that. And I could, I would love your help. And I was like, okay. So I was just so bored, like of not doing anything. I didn't know what to start. I was like, sure, he's going to pay me good money. I'll have something to do. I'm like stuck at home and I, I just want something to do. So for some weird reason, I said yes to him. And I ended up hiring two people the next day. Even though my intention was not to start a services business, I didn't realize I was just basically starting a services business by hiring people. Because once you hire them, like as full-time employees, now you're responsible. I was like, well, okay, I guess I started another services business. What do I call it? I ended up calling it Delirium, which was the name of my first company when I started in Pakistan. So it used to be called Delirium. We're like, well, it's all full circle, same client. I'm back in Pakistan right now. Let's just call it Delirium. So I ended up launching Delirium, got a few clients again, because I'd made a name for myself in the industry. People knew who I was. I know how to make tech products. I was able to get clients. I started hiring. But I, I was back in Toronto and I was like, I don't know. Number one, I don't want to do this alone. It's I'm also, I definitely like, I, I, I don't, I'm not a CFO and I'm not a CEO. Like those are things I'm terrible. Like I need someone who understands the finance side, who's great at operations. I'm definitely the big vision guy at like going out, getting things, like talking to people and doing all that stuff. I am terrible at the minutia. Um, so I was talking to a friend of mine who was in, was a friend from high school. His name is also Hamza, by the way. So I'm Hamza G. I'm Hamza J. He's Hamza G, which is always super confusing. Um, but we were talking and he was like, he's been working in the corporate world for, for the last 12 years. He's been working on like really big clients. He understands the staffing industry, super charismatic guy, funny, has all the qualities, but is also very detail oriented and, and has like, is good at sales and talking to people. Anytime him and I are together talking to just friends, we find we have really good banter. We find that, you know, people are interested in talking to us. So we're like, well, he was ready to just not be doing his desk job. He wanted to do something else. And I saw in him all the qualities that I lacked that would be really good as a business partner. And so, yeah, I floated the idea to him. It's like, well, I have delirium. Um, well, we should, would you be interested in like coming on and we could like spin something off? separately and he was very interested um and yeah like six months later we ended up just rolling delirium into a new company called tamba tamba means copper in urdu which is what we speak in pakistan and yeah tamba was born and yeah it was an amazing decision i think him and i make really good co-founders and uh the goal with Tamba essentially is to do what I originally wanted to do with Button with like maybe a little bit on top. So you asked me, what did I learn from being around Andrew? And it's, yeah, I want Tamba to kind of be like a metal app, right? I want, uh, it, it's great at generating cash. And then what do you do with a cash, right? You buy cash generating businesses. So we're accumulating right now. I think we're ready to make a purchase in like six. My friend, Louis uh, Komeyer, who owns a company called Tenzing, which is also a tiny portfolio company, 
is is going to help us find like he does he does great work finding companies you want to buy or really just uh, they do all the all the boring stuff you don't want to deal with when it comes to buying selling other big finance words that i don't understand yeah talk me through a bit of that kind of acquisition strategy you know that that, that tiny's kind of made popular when you're looking at acquiring would, would it be, be- businesses that like are a direct benefit to Tamba, like maybe they help with the services part of the business. Do they not have to be related at all? Do you have any kind of thoughts around that? Or is it just, hey, this is a fantastic business. I don't really care what space it's in. Definitely the latter. In fact, I would want it to be as far away from Tamba as possible. Um, I am very concerned about where AI is going and it's eating, it's going to eat up everything. So I'm going, my, my biggest requirement right now is to buy something that is either AI proof or can benefit from AI, right? Tech businesses, their moat can disappear at any moment right now. Um, services businesses are the same. I mean, we're not far from just telling a chatbot to build us an app. And maybe it will be pretty rudimentary, but for how long, right? The pace at which AI is moving is is incredible. Anyone who's not concerned, I would say, doesn't understand it. Um, so, so that's my major concern. I mean, like, like, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was just telling me how great of a business power washing is. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great business. So that's that's the kind of stuff I'm, I'll be looking at. Not necessarily power washing, but just anything that is um, cash flow positive reliable AI proof um, or even better just can really benefit from AI and uh, just help us you know help acquire like a bunch of cash cows so when you look at something that's like AI proof like you know again yeah power washing is a great example I feel like other industries that are very like relationship driven or like a deep skill set I guess, like, what are some other things that you think are AI proof? This is, again, this is a, an interesting question because AI is becoming very, very strong. And people, what well, you wouldn't have thought was AI proof four months ago. Now you're like, oh, right. Like India just released their first AI news anchor, which is crazy. We're going to have AI movies, anything in media, anything visual is going to be just generated. So relationship-driven, I think, is a good one. I love building communities. I love bringing people together, hosting parties, hosting networking events. Um, so I think that's a really good area for me to look into. Um, just something in the event space or in, in, like, in the community building space. That is something I think is AI-proof until, we've made, until we live in Westworld, basically. But uh, until then... Still, then I think we're good. So I want to look into that. The community aspect is interesting and maybe it ties into kind of tiny a little bit and what's kind of going on in Victoria more generally. You know, I feel like you talked about it earlier, but like Victoria is just so dense with tech talent and the community there. And it seems to be this very like authentic community where folks are helping each other. And I, I guess. Can you chat a little bit about that, like being in it? Like, do you think there's something unique there? Like, I know you were in Toronto before and you probably, you know, know people in multiple other communities. Do you think Victoria has something special? And if so, like, what is it? 
It's an interesting thought. Um, before I moved to Victoria, I was told Victoria is extremely cliquey and it's really hard to make friends. So I think I took it upon myself as a challenge to prove that. Turns out people were right. It is cliquey. You just have to know how to break into the clique or make your own. Um, so what's great about Victoria, I think it, it being small, you run into the same people over and over again. I could just go to Hey Happy, which is like the neighborhood coffee shop and see see four of the people you've already interviewed. I was actually looking through all the people. I was like, oh, I recognize all of these people. And I just went to Hey Happy, like two of them would be there right now. So I think that really helps. If you think of it in web terms, it's just the number of impressions you get. You keep seeing the same people. And then people are receptive to hanging out, coming out to parties or events. So I think I've done a good job of filling that gap of hosting those events. I find it that when you invite people, a lot of them show up. Um, so I think Victoria's size and geography really help with that uh, because there's not that many people. Um, we are more tight-knit and everyone knows everyone. I think that really helps. From a product perspective, you know, Tamba has its own process. Like I was looking on the site, discover, design, develop, do it again. But, you know, obviously there's probably a hundred things people could probably be doing better when you know, thinking about product, designing product, making product. But are there like a few things that you've learned over your experience that are like, hey, like these are fundamental or maybe even something that's kind of counterintuitive or most people wouldn't really think about? It really comes down to what stage you're in. Um, I have a lot of startup product experience and I've also done a lot of government products. And like those are at the basically extreme ends if you think about it. Um, the one thing that's non-negotiable in both those cases is know your user and talk to your user. Um, the more people you can talk to and get a clear picture of what people want, the better off you'll be. And it's, it's not, and it's a process that doesn't stop because as you're developing more and more features, you, you roll them out, you test them and you figure out if this is what people really wanted. Because a lot of the times like you need to know how to turn user feedback into features, but then you also need to retest and continuously iterate. So that, I mean, there's a bunch of other things as well in terms of process, but uh, when it comes to building product, I think knowing your user is super important because that's where you get product market fit. Um, building something for like a niche user that really wants to solve a problem. And what do you think about from like a sales process for Tampa? So like acquiring clients, is it, you know, is it kind of more of like a white glove experience? And it's like, hey, I, I you know, like that kind of authentic, hey, I, maybe I meet someone at an event and hey, I, this is Tamba. Or do you have like a, an outbound cold process where you're reaching out to people? We've tried a few different things and we've learned a lot in the process. So we, there's one, there's a few areas that we're, where we really shine. Once someone, once we're connected to someone, we're actually extremely likely to convert them into a client. And I think the reason for that is number one, if we're pre pre presented with the opportunity to send in a proposal, our proposal is just I think leaps and bounds better than anyone else. And that is really a signal of two things, value and trust. Uh, sorry, not value, quality. When a potential client receives a proposal, 
within that, they can already see that if this is how much effort we put into this, what will it look like when we build on the actual product? So, so it's almost like a mini project, like the proposal. So as, because of that, our, our conversion rates are like in the, in the high 80s for landing a potential client, which is significantly higher than industry standard. Um, and then trust, right? They, not only do they see that in the proposal when they talk to us, all of our Hamza and Hamza's collective background experience, and then our team, we make sure to only hire the best, their background and their history really inspires that trust in the client. In terms of additional process, um, we, we encourage clients to be involved in the process, right? Not everyone has to be, you can be involved to varying degrees. Some people want to be completely hands-off. Some people want to be fully integrated. So we give them that option. They like it feel like we're part of their team if that's what they want. So that's been really good for us. Anytime there's inbound. In terms of getting that inbound, like uh, we've been doing a lot of LinkedIn marketing. One of the things we're doing right now is building a supplement tracker. I'm a huge health nerd. So, and I take a bunch of supplements. Like I have a giant cabinet full of supplements. And then there's another drawer over there full of supplements. Um, but I forget how to take them, when to take them. So I thought it'd be a good little product to kind of highlight our ability and how we do stuff just in public. So that's an example of how we, we build in public and get leads. Um, another thing that's been actually super powerful for us is our ambassador program, which I mean, the terms are simple. You bring us a project and we give you 10% of the total project value. And honestly, some people, like sometimes I look at how much money people are making just by sending one email. I'm like, I'm in the wrong business, right? I, I have like a friend and he's made like $80,000 for sending one email because he connected us with a client. So yeah, I mean, if people listening to this are interested in taking advantage of that, they can email me at hamza.jstamba.com. .ca or also go on our website, which is tamba.ca forward slash ambassador. Um, there's all that information over there. So that I would say is, uh, is our best converting sales avenue. You mentioned supplements there, and I think it's a nice segue into what we were talking about in our pre-chat about your business routines. So would love to learn a bit more about that. Uh, when we were talking about that, it was just very, very interesting and the growth behind that. So I think it's kind of a nice segue there with the supplement chat. Routines is an interesting, uh, interesting topic. Um, we were working with examine.com as our first client, like a little over like, like a year and a half ago. Great business. I'm a huge fan of examine.com and I'm good friends with the CEO Saul. So when they were looking for someone, we're like, Actually, that was the project that essentially kickstarted Tamba in many ways. It's our flagship project that really launched uh, Tamba. And so they have a great business. They have a ton of traffic. And they could be making so much more money if they had an affiliate program. Now, obviously, an affiliate program is counter to their core belief system, which is they're impartial. So I truly respect them for not having an affiliate program. They could just turn that on and make a shitload of money. So I just started thinking, I was like, okay, well, what is a, a parallel business that I, I'd be interested in, could drive traffic to, and I could, you know, I don't have moral qualms about having affiliates. So what could I do? Just around the same time, I'd met Andrew Huberman, who had come to Victoria and we'd had a, like a small dinner and I was there. 
and he's just, he has a crazy morning routine, daily routine, and he's famous for it. So all of those pieces kind of came together in my mind as like this one product where I'm like, okay, so Examine does a great job of using, of giving you nutritional information step-by-step, super easy. We just spent like six months building their information architecture for, for them. I can do that for daily routines. So I, I ended up basically just spinning up a page for Andy Huberman, have his daily routine in a very easy to understand way, generated some really cool images using Midjourney, put it up there and kind of then got busy with Tam and forgot about it. And one day I just went and checked my traffic on it and we were ranking on the first page of Google and getting a ton of traffic on Huberman's routine. I'm like, oh, so people are truly interested in this. So about three months ago, something, I, I kind of, I, I hired, hired a content writer, started putting out new routines, started like optimize the SEO and stuff. Um, and then one day, um, I was just hanging out with a friend and I got an email. So I tried to get, so I turned on monetization uh, through Amazon affiliate. They give you a dollar, uh, 1% for every sale. I was making like five to 10 bucks a day. Um, and I was like, okay, well, for this to make real money, I need to scale it by this much. Maybe I can get some direct partnerships with the Athletic Greens and maybe make 5% instead of 1%. Reached out to Athletic Greens. They're like, nah, you're too small. We don't have anything for you. Like, okay, well, I'll come back later. So one day I'm just sitting and I get an email. It's like from Athletic Greens. And they're like, something, something, Time Magazine, something, something, 30%. And I kind of ignored it. I was busy at the moment. And then on Instagram, a friend sent me an article that was Andrew Huberman's, like covering Andrew Huberman on Time, Time Magazine, arguably the largest publication on earth or one of them. And everything just clicked. I was like, wait, what? Did, did Time, Time Magazine just link to my website? And I dropped everything, opened up the, the, the article, which was super long. So I just went into DevTools, searched for my link, and it was there. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Went and read the email from Athletic Greens. And they're like, hey, yeah, so do you want 30%? Uh, in affiliate partnership, was like, uh, yeah. And so overnight, my revenue went from like $5 a day to like 200 to $300 a day just from routines. And that's when my eyes popped. I was like, oh, this is an under-optimized website with one routine on it right now and one link to like Athletic Greens and it's already making so much money. This is a huge business opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, I've been hiring people for it and I've, uh, yeah, I have big plans for it. And one of the things I really like about that is I'm, I've been trying to answer this question. Who am I, right? Am I, am I the guy who built a services business and scales it? I've done that before, but I just, it's like back to that idea of like selling iPhones. It wasn't what I felt like I was and it's with a services business again, doesn't feel necessarily like what I want to be remembered by in like five or 10 years. Sure, it's a great business. Me and my co-founder are going to hire ourselves out of it eventually. But what I do see as, as a potential uh, brand that I can use to kind of build around myself and my personality is, let's say, routines. I, I have really I, I have a really cool morning routine. I'm really into the health side of things, biohacking, all that stuff. I love meeting cool people, getting access to people like Peter Atia or Andrew Huberman. Tim Ferriss would be amazing. There's a huge content play to it, like building 
building a, like an Instagram channel and a TikTok channel around this. Um, so all of those things kind of come together into into what I'm really interested in, and and that's what I love about routines. And eventually, want them to. Why do you think people are so into routines and understanding the routines of others? Is it just you know that kind of just natural like, hey, like this person is successful, and I can be more like them, like I can better myself. I guess is there kind of anything behind that of why people are really into routines? I don't know if I can answer that for other people but i can answer it for myself and why i am into routines i think it's as someone who cares about productivity being healthy and all those things you really see such a massive difference when you actually follow a routine for the last six months my routine has been terrible i've been traveling a lot anytime i do that exercise nutrition sleep all those things go out of, out of the window so now that i've been like stable for the last two months my routine has been fantastic and i feel amazing Business is doing better. Everything is just so much better when there's routine. I think people kind of see that. And I think social media really helps um, with like people like Huberman trickling information online or these videos that people are creating. Like, oh, I remember when Mark Wahlberg released his insane routine, I think like six years ago, where he like wakes up at 2.30 a.m. and then does a, a cryo chamber and does like works out for like four hours. Um, so I think content and media played a huge role in that. And I think in general, a huge subset of the population is becoming very health conscious, right? You'll see like people are drinking less and less alcohol. People are eating more and more nutritious food. Uh, people are taking supplements, taking their health seriously. So I think all of that is coming together into the next set of steps, which is, well, we understand exercise is great. We understand nutrition is great. Sleep is great. How do we put it into practice and i think routine is the answer to that what has it been like scaling this this other business routines while you have tamba on the go obviously you you kind of were talking there a little bit about maybe not so much an identity crisis but you know like hey am i a services business person or like am i this type of person so i guess there's almost two questions there what's it like scaling the other and then what's it like with that kind of finding the, the thing that's like perfect for you, like in your mind, that's like your true identity and what you want to be working on. Uh, honest answer is really hard to scale a side business if all of your time is into the one one thing. And I think Tamba does require a lot of my attention right now. And I'm totally cool with that. So the the obvious answer is to just hire people to do. And also, I'm, I, I'm not an SEO person. I don't know how that works. So like, I know exactly what I need to do. I'm already in the talks with great SEO people, uh, bringing them on board. I have a solid content writer. I think I'm going to add, add a few more. And I think we'll have a really good team who can just churn out content and uh, let it grow organically. And then when I have more time, um, we, can, like, we can start thinking about other strategies. Like, do we need to build a TikTok channel? Do we need to build a content play? Do we need to turn this into a into a podcast? Because I think this could be a great podcast, right? Like a twenty with Peter Tia just talking about his routine. Like it's very structured. Like just talk about your routine and the science behind the things that you do. Um, so there's all of these things that I want to do. I think right now my goal is just to build a brand and scale it and make sure it's getting organic traffic and generating a ton of revenue. Then we'll have the money to also go ahead and hire people. Um, Andrew Wilkinson, 
who I usually like lean on when I need to have like ask questions, uh, was was the one he's just like who like looked at me. He's like, I was like, oh, I haven't started monetization on this yet. I'm getting like a bunch of traffic. He's like, she's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, just like three hours of work, and and you've been making like x x thousand dollars, and you just need to do it. I was like, you're right. Um, it wasn't until um, so this is an interesting thing that's been happening in my life lately um i went ahead and i got diagnosed with adhd about two months ago i never realized i had it when i was a child i used to think i had it and then someone told me like oh everyone thinks they have adhd and i was like oh you're right i'm perfect obviously i don't have adhd and then recently like two of my friends independently like were like dude you have adhd like really so i went and i got a diagnosis turns out yeah i have really bad adhd and so I started Vyvanse and it has been game changing. Um, the amount of work that I've been doing has gone up by like 4x. My Typically my mood's always been great, but like it's way more stable. My sleep, which had been terrible for a year, finally got fixed. Um, so a lot of these knock-on effects have really helped with stuff. Like routines where I'm like, yeah, you know what? Saturday, I'm just going to sit and like build this out right now or try and interview and hire people for it. Um, so yeah, so that's been, that's been really helping with basically all areas of my life. It's great on you for like realizing that in yourself and like going out and seeking that a lot of folks, you know, would never take those steps or even want to go get diagnosed. So I think that's huge that you've done that. It's amazing to see the unlock there. I think last question I had before, um, we jumped to the quick fire round would just be, you know, just getting... Andrew Wilkinson's very well known, he, uh, you know, whether from a social perspective or just in the tech scene here in Canada, Victoria. What are like, you know, I'm sure you've learned a ton from him, but is there, you know, one or two things that you're like eye opening or just being around him that you've really learned? The one key takeaway, which I'm still bad at, but I, it is basically what's stopping me from the next level of growth is just being able to hire myself out of stuff. Um, my urge to do things myself while fun definitely gets in the way and he's done it so well. He's, I mean, I would say that is his one true key secret to success has just been like hiring amazing operators and being able to step away from something. Right. So he, every time we talk, he'll tell me that he's really helpful to like connect me with people. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. But just, I've been able to do it a lot better lately. We're hiring great people at TAMP. Um, it would be a true test for me to do it at routines as well. But that is the one true takeaway is just work on the business, not in the business. Great advice. And for the quick fire round, I'd love to know your favorite book. And if you can't pick a favorite, maybe just something you're currently reading or read recently. One of my favorite actually two books that were my favorites of all time. So obviously Harry Potter, let's not talk about that, but I actually have trouble. I'm not, I wish I, I really enjoyed reading like self-help books or business books and I'm trying to, they just, I just don't enjoy them as much as say fiction, but within that category, I read this book called Moonwalking with Einstein and I, it's, it's such a good book. It's basically about, um, this journalist who 
who goes to Europe and covers the World Memory Championship, where people with insane memories can memorize like a like 50,000 digits of pi and like memory decks of cards and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of covering that, one of the previous champions comes up to him and is like, this is all, none of these people are special. This is all, these are all tricks and I can train you. And if you train with me, I guarantee that you'll become US memory champion. And so it's a book about that journey. And I don't want to spoil it, but that was such a good book for me to read because I was super interested in all that stuff. And then another book I really thoroughly enjoyed was and took real key lessons away from was Influenced by Robert Cialdini, which I, everyone should read and I, I should reread. Um, then I'd actually add one last thing to that. It's not a book. This, this is a TED Talk that had a pretty dramatic influence on my life. Uh, it was a TED Talk. It's called, I think it's, I can't remember, it's called 100 Days of Rejection Therapy. And it's about this guy who was very meek, very shy. I was extremely shy as a kid, couldn't talk to people. And he basically challenges himself to get rejected once a day for silly things. Like his goal would be to go out, ask for something, and then get rejected. And number one, don't be creepy. So the idea of like, a hey, like, when I did it, I would just go to like the mall and just, I was wearing sunglasses. The first time I tried it, I would just, the first day I tried to do it, I just paced up and down the mall, didn't have the courage to go up to anyone and like be like, hey, do you want my sunglasses? Second day, I finally, after 30 minutes, went up to this, this guy who was sitting down eating his food. I was like, hey, sir, uh, do you want to buy my sunglasses? And he just like looks up to me. No, that's it. And even though like my heart was pumping, I was like, oh, I'm still alive. Nothing happened. And I kept doing that for like, I'd do that like every lunch, go to the mall, try to do something weird, like simple. One day I challenged someone to do a push-up competition. This random stranger in the middle of the mall, he agreed, absolutely destroyed me. Um, that was fun. So 100 days of rejection therapy, highly recommend it. It really helps you realize that you're in your head. Nobody cares. Rejection is fine. In fact, it's good for you. And people who ask for things get things. I, I proved this point by to my friends when anytime we would order Uber Eats, I just in the notes be like, hey, love you guys. Love your service. Um, you'd make our day by sending us something for free. And honestly, 90% of the time they would send us something for free. A free can of Coke, a free dessert. Once we got like a free hash brown, which was a huge treat. That's great advice. I've never seen that TED Talk. I'll have to go check that out. Uh, what are you most excited about in the next year personally and professionally? For myself, like in my personal life, things are great. I'm having a like, like the last six months I was traveling, so I felt a little disconnected from my community. But now that I'm back hosting events, parties, my social life and all that's kind of coming together. I'm really enjoying that. Professionally, I'm super excited to see where Tamba goes. Things are going really well. Um, we're at a spot where we can actually be very selective about our clients, right? So we really love working with in the health tech and the fintech space. Um, and while we don't limit ourselves to those spaces, like we now have the ability to choose who we work with. So that's really exciting. Exciting. I'm really excited for routines. And then I'm excited to see like the world's moving in such a weird way. Like where's AI going? 
we have a room temperature superconductor now. Like that's mind blowing. Like it's just going to reshape so many different industries. Aliens. I mean, what's going on there? Like there's just so much interesting stuff happening. I, de I definitely agree with that. Uh, last question before I open up the mic to you, but would be, how do you deal with hard times? Being a founder is hard. You made a big move earlier in your life. Um, you know, we were talking a bit about routines and other things. Are there just a few things that just kind of help you keep grounded and deal with those hard times? I honestly don't have a great answer for that. I think um, I work really well under stress and so I'm able to really prioritize and figure things out. If I need to have hard conversations, I can. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm lucky that uh, I don't have crippling anxiety or I don't get like gripped by fear. It just, so in terms of the yeah, hard times, I think if, if I need to make a decision to solve it and it's a hard decision, I will. Besides that, my routine, I love it, right? Like, on a Sunday, I love going to to a Nordic spa, like a sauna and a cold plunge. Any anxiety, any fear just melts away. Um, and lastly, just like a, this is a bit more not wishy washy, but I've learned to really appreciate my life. Right, I you walk around, you look at all the poverty and the hardship people are having. Like you can see it on the streets, and it's really good for me sometimes. Like. I ever catch myself feeling sorry for myself for whatever reason people have off days um again i grew up in pakistan like i've seen real destitution right and even here you can walk down on the street and see just people really struggling so it just is a really good way for me to put things into perspective that my orders of magnitude smaller than most people at least for now fully forever it's a great way to look at it and I'd love to open up the mic to you, talk about Tamba, routines, anything you want. And obviously, we'll we'll link everything in the description for everyone to easily access. Well, if anyone's looking to get awesome products built, Tamba, definitely worth checking out Tamba, especially if you're in the health or fintech space or need anything that involves your startup, if you're, especially if you're Series A. Um, we have a ton of experience there. Um, I've spent i've built so many of my own products um, we have like a really unique way of looking at product market fit user research everything's research driven so definitely give us a shout if, if you're interested or if you know someone who who would be a good fit and you just want to make a buttload of money by sending the referral mm -hmm. our way definitely check that out for routines yeah if you want to be involved in any way uh, hit me up you can find me on twitter my Twitter hasn't been super active lately, but I have a standing theft with Rob Frazier, who is the CEO of Aquasox. He's been on the podcast to see who gets to 10,000 followers first. I mean, he's crushing it. He's He posts regularly. He's like, I'm at like 1,000 followers. He's at 5,000. So I'm one of those guys who, who will get motivated when he, when he hits like 8,000 followers. And I'll be like, okay, I'm at 1,200. Let's do this. Um, but, but yeah, if, if there's anything that interests you in either of those companies, hit me up, my email is probably linked down there. Um, yeah, routines. I'm always interested in talking to people who can help me scale that. 
Awesome. Hamza, it's been such a great conversation. I'm looking forward to watching you and Rob's competition, but uh, we've covered a lot of different topics. Appreciate all the insights and it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe, share with friends, and reach out with guest suggestions. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe to our newsletter on Substack to keep up to date.